0: So Luke chapter eighteen, and we'll read verses one through eight. And let's stand for the reading of the word. This is this is another thing that strengthens us, right? Just the reality that this is this is God speaking right now to us. He, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He, Jesus, said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Look, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord, Jesus, said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord to you. You can have a seat. Today we're moving out of our series on uh, our statement of faith that we called We Believe. and We're into a brief follow-up series that uh, we've entitled After Words. And it's just like a- after, the, the idea is after the We Believe series, what are some things that we need to think about? Lives affected by what we believe. Because like we've said throughout our whole time going through the We Believe series, it, it, if it's just filling our heads with information and not actually being applied in our lives, then it's, it's just that. It's just information. But we want it to affect our lives. And so, lives affected by what we believe, and these are some afterwards about that. We've addressed certain elements of application throughout the series, we believe, but these ones are kind of more topical, specific areas. Uh, considering how to apply that which we believe. And this morning we want to connect what we believe to prayer. And I've preached on prayer, or we, Dan Kale and I, have preached on prayer, or Ken Mellinger has preached on prayer last year, I think this same first Sunday of the year. Um, We've preached on prayer numerous times, and I'm not overly convinced that we need another sermon on prayer that is kind of informing us that we need to pray. I think we all know we need to pray, um, or that, that at least the people of God do pray, that we are to depend on him. I don't know that we need a, a good apologetic on, on that. We ask God for all sorts of things. We just spent the last 10 minutes praying for all sorts of things. We seek him in prayer, we come into his presence by the blood of Jesus, not only to worship him with songs of praise, but to pray, and to pray individually and to pray together, prayers of intercession. The problem is so often, one of the primary things that God's people wrestle with is this foundational issue of a lifestyle of praying. We can come together to pray, speaking to myself, I can pray from the pulpit. I can pray with you, but am I praying throughout the week? Am I working on a lifestyle of prayer? Am I working in a lifestyle of dependence on God? So I think it would be good for us to consider why is it the case that we often have this issue of praying? Why is it difficult? Um, I'm assuming that for most of us it's difficult. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but but in my pastoral ministry over the last three decades, it's I wanna say it's somewhere in the 90 percentile. <laughs> now it's it's a lot of us who struggle with prayer. We we are we are this is one of our big issues. And because it was just a couple of years ago that I preached on this specific passage, I'm not gonna exposit this whole this whole thing. I'm just focusing in this morning on on really the first line. Because Jesus tells this parable, he's explaining this parable to, um, to these people uh, so that they would not lose heart. So the emphasis that I want to speak on this morning is how do we not lose heart? How do we fight this wrestling against whatever it is that we're wrestling against? Why prayer is just so difficult to regularly do in a persevering manner. We are being encouraged in the whole text to to talk with God to ask of him to seek him in prayer to not faint, to not lose heart to, because God is not like this unjust judge right he's, he's actually he 's willing if the unjust judge is willing to listen, well then the just judge, the just one, the one who loves you he 's going to listen so. Go to him. Take it to him. That's the context we're in. So, so again, let's be honest with each other. Do we not pray for certain great things and having received no seeming answer in the time that we desire, simply give up and we come to assume any number of falsehoods about the power of prayer and about the purpose of prayer. We begin to think, my words mean nothing. My words just hit the ceiling and bounce back. It's as though God doesn't listen to me. That, that's, that's how we can tend to feel. I pray and I pray and I pray and no answer comes. Seemingly, Jesus even says in this text, He says, "I'll tell you, He'll give justice to them speedily." And I remember having a conversation with Joy and just saying, "I don't think that's true." And that, that's honesty, that Joy would ask to say that question. It sure doesn't seem that God's answering speedily. And so there's just this doubting that comes. We, we simply stop asking. We, we perhaps not just question whether God's listening, but we can get to a place where we question whether there really is even a God that's listening to us. And our prayers become small, and they become feeble, and they become non-existent. problem is so serious that in verse 8 the Lord Jesus says when the Son of Man comes will he find faith on the earth now I think it's a connective verse right it's just like will he find people trusting him believing on him to answer speedily Scripture is clear that the closer we come to the return of Christ, many hearts are going to grow cold towards the Lord. Men may say they believe in God and his promises, but deny the power of God and his promises, and it will be seen through a life of prayerlessness, that is, utterly self-sufficient and godless. And simply put, we, we don't want to be counted among that lot. We want to, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, be stirred up to pray and to overcome the prevailing reality that we do indeed face, the often prayerlessness that we experience or the impoverished prayers of weary, doubting, fearful, complacent, discouraged, despondent, and distracted young believers and old believers alike. Now, you can know a lot about God. You can know a lot about theology. You can have a great grasp on the statement of faith, you can know a lot and have a wonderful reputation of godliness and care and on and on, but what we are on our knees is what we genuinely are and no more. That's a, a quote-ish from Robert Murray McChain. What we are on our knees is what we are and no more. Our prayer lives really do reveal what or whom we are living for and depending on where our hope is and the depth of our relationship with the Lord. And I say that not to induce guilt or condemnation, but to state with sober conviction that reality of some sort of disconnect that we have between what we say we believe and whom we love and whom we live for and depend on, and that which is in reality who we truly do believe, whom we truly do love and live for and depend on we're certainly saved by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone and not by our ability to pray. Alone. But as we've considered in our We Believe series, if we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to become a child of God and to have the indwelling Spirit of God living in us, uh, moving in us, causing us to be sanctified and to become like Christ, preparing us for the age to come, then one of the key areas in our life that he will be working on is this life of dependent prayer because Jesus himself lived in a life of dependent prayer as the Son of God. And so we are being conformed into his image by the Holy Spirit and so it only makes sense. And I imagine that each of us want to grow in our prayer life and our talking with God, depending on God, asking him to move, simply enjoy maybe just resting in him, enjoying him along the way of life. Sometimes prayer, we're talking so much and sometimes we just need to sit and just be still and listen to the Lord and enjoy his presence and to find true rest. To not always be talking, talking, talking. We need more presence, sense of his presence. And so we pray, but then after we pray, we... Most, again, of our prayer lives are not what they ought to be, and we know that. We are prone to losing heart in prayer, and we give up. We begin to believe, again, praying is fruitless, empty, perhaps even meaningless. And what we can tend to do, kind of like a sermon on evangelism, a sermon on prayer can sometimes just simply make us feel bad about ourselves. We often see our impoverished prayer lives and grow despondent as we continue finding a life of prayer to be something that evades us and so for the rest of our time together i just want to ask the question why 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 do we find prayer so difficult and then spend a few moments together considering how that might change in 2023 the first consideration i want us to think about is this that we are hindered in prayer by the enemy of our faith now this is not blame shifting it's not as though we don't have anything to do with this it's just the reality that we are hindered You and I who struggle in prayer, we are hindered in prayer by the enemy of our faith. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We have a mortal enemy of our faith, an ultimately defeated enemy to be sure, but one who is out nevertheless to steal, kill, and destroy the faith and the trust and the active belief of all those who profess to have entrusted their lives to the Lord. And listen, when we don't have answered prayer, when we don't see prayers answered, is that not the reality? What the enemy is doing is stripping us of our faith. Stripping us of our desire for God. We start to question whether he's good. We start to question all the things that we say we believe. This is the action of our enemy. He's the devil. And he's not a joke. He's not in a red suit. There's no horns. Not a cartoon image. He is the accuser. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer from the very beginning and he is diametrically opposed to you in 2023 as much as he was in 2022. He is against you in every way, Christian. He wants you to faint in prayer. He wants you to lose heart. He wants you to stop asking. He wants you to doubt that God hears. He wants you to fear. He wants you to give in to that sin so that you feel that you just can't pray. He wants you to doubt any of the things we just spent the last 15 weeks speaking about in our We Believe series. He wants you to just give up. He wants to steal your faith. He wants to kill you. Paul writes, we do not wrestle. Verses that we know, but we don't Think about, when it comes to prayer necessarily, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when we pray, there is opposition. Before prayer, after prayer, during prayer. Opposition. It's not just your flesh. It's not just your weakness. Although it is that, it is that we have an enemy of our souls who is a personal enemy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That's the warfare that we are engaged in all the time and it's most certainly what we're engaged in when it comes to prayer we believe in a real enemy and he will do all that he can to hinder our prayers and it only makes sense and how will he do it well sometimes maybe big things that hinder us but much of the time it's normal mundane everyday stuff like household responsibilities meetings meal times family social media podcasts etc it could be anything Anything, any normal thing, everything seems to be put before prayer because the devil wants it that way. The devil will utilize all sorts of distractions to keep you and to keep me from that most important thing that he hates, the weapons of our warfare, namely, prayer. It's needful to say that the devil, again, is not our only enemy, right? And I alluded to this. We also have the enemy of the world and the flesh, and the three seem to work together in an unholy trinity that disrupts prayer and alters our focus and threatens to steal our faith. Maybe it's circumstances that you have, that, that have you doubting. Maybe it's a seeming lack of answer from God for your tear-stained prayers. Maybe you're just so very tired and your mind is tired and your body is weary and you just feel faint. Maybe it's the state of the world around you is the world around us crumbling? Is the world around us weary? Is the world around us coming against? Us? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Over all we hear are things that cause us to sink into despair. So much vying for our attention. So much stealing our time that we might pray. The reality is that we have enemies of our faith who conspire very wisely against us and they all do so to strip us of our belief in God. And our trust in him. Questioning the God we love. Doubting that which what we have said we believe. And we are left with nothing to say. We're left with nothing to pray. Because deep down we've become relatively convinced that prayer is generally useless. So we must thwart his plans. To keep us off our knees. In thankfulness dependent intercessory prayer to our great and glorious God. And this is the second consideration this morning. The first is we have an enemy that hinders us. The second is we are given power to overcome every hindrance to prayer. Because we're in Christ, we have been made right with God. Now sons and daughters of the King, given the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Because of these truths there are certain things we can decide today. And I mean we can decide in this moment and Every day of this year, and moment by moment, we can decide to do certain things by God's grace and His wisdom and the power of the Spirit. We can truly overcome the enemies of our faith and find victory and effectiveness and joy in a life of prayer. And we do so actively by this first one, deciding to believe in the object of our faith. Seems easy, but It's what it is. We must decide to believe in the object of our faith, to make that choice. I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is, and that his promises are yes and amen. Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Now, why would she say that? John Knox was just a believer. Not because he had an army, but because he was on his knees. And there was power there because he believed and entrusted the character and promises of the sovereign triune God. He did not have power in himself alone as some sort of magician or illusionist, but power because he beseeched the king of kings, because he had decided to believe by the power of the Spirit in the word of God, in the promises of God, and in the God of the promises. The omnipotent, all-wise Lord of all lords, on his knees praying, dependent, hope-filled prayers. He was affecting the hand of God in some mystical reality, wonderful reality that he was being used in his prayers to actually move the hand of God and therefore affecting the world. And Mary, Queen of Scots, saw it, felt it, and she was scared of him. He believed the parable that Jesus told, and he did not lose heart. He knew he was weak. He was a man just like us. And it was one of the most amazing things in James 5 to me is that it talks about Elijah, who was another man of great prayer, also a man of significant depression at different times, but he was a man who did amazing things, and yet James says he was a man just like us. John Knox. Oh, would we have many John Knoxes. A man just like us. He knew he was weak, but he knew that God was omnipotent. And by way of the gospel of grace, he had access to the very throne room of that omnipotent, personal, loving God. And he knew that God in his sovereign, wise will has called us to pray to him, not only by way of dependence, but in some manner again being used to move his hand to see his will accomplished. William Cooper, a wonderful poet and hymn writer, who also struggled significantly with his doubts and struggles in this very area, he says this. He said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. Now that, to me, is a wonderful thought. you not feel weak, spiritually weak. We think we need to be powerful in prayer, but the Lord simply calls us in our weakness to depend on him in prayer. Taking him at his word, crying out to God in our weakness, but believing his character, his promises. It's not only a special thing, a special tier of Christian, it's for every Christian, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how healthy, no matter how bedridden a Christian might be. Let me address... Uh, an issue that might be popping in your head right now, perhaps you would say, you know, you say that I need to take God at his word, then why does he say that if we ask him anything according to his will or in his name that he would do it for us? But then he doesn't seem to do it. That's a good question. And there's so much more to be said about this, but let me just... I'll just share it for a moment. If you were to take any single one scripture on answers to prayer and build an entire doctrine on that passage, uh, that would be a generally unwise and potentially dangerous thing to do. A wiser path is to take all the scriptures together which discuss how God answers prayers, to consider what we know about God, how God has revealed himself about his character and his integrity, consider a couple of examples of earnest prayers asked but not received, perhaps something like the apostle Paul pleading with God to remove the thorn from his flesh, yet receiving the answer no repeatedly to arrive at some sort of broader, more final summary understanding of prayer. So we look to the object of our faith and we pray believing his promises that though he says he will give justice to them speedily if it's not speedily enough for you then where do you go? What do you do? Well you say you yield to the good God of grace and you say I know that you are a God of justice. I know that you will bring about justice. And when you bring about justice, it's going to happen speedily. And so I will trust myself to you. I will entrust myself over and over and over again to you. We always trust His wisdom and His goodness and His will. And we tell the world, the flesh, and the devil to buzz off with his deceptive tongue and tempts us to doubt the God in whom all of our hope is about. So, second, we need to decide that prayer is unquestionably necessary. We, we, we're kind of convinced of this, okay? But we need to decide. Do we, do we believe this or no? Do we believe that prayer is unquestionably necessary? Steve Bice, this year, do you believe that prayer is unquestionably necessary. We need to decide that there really isn't anything more important than sitting with the Lord quietly or in vocal prayer and taking time to hear from him primarily in this book. Do you believe this? Not not just in your mind, do you really believe this? Because if you don't, then prayer will always be something that just simply doesn't make the cut in your life because your life is busy. It's full. It's full. We all have full lives. Some people have more full lives than others. And this is worth our strongest consideration. Is it true? Is it really true that other things are more important than talking to the king? Is it really true That other things are more important than listening to the king or asking great things of the king as he's given you full and free access to him at any time? Could it be that you've become impatient with the king, placed yourself on the throne of your life and begun to trust your own abilities and find yourself faltering along the way, growing devoid of hope and rest? What you truly believe in your heart about God will help you decide how important communion with God in prayer is. Will you decide to trust the faithful God and place yourself under him in dependent prayer? That, that's, that's, that's a question. We need to decide that prayer is unquestionably necessary. Third, we must decide to pray primarily when disruption is less likely. Now once you've decided that there isn't anything more important than sitting with the Lord in prayer, you'll need to learn to pray at a time and a place when the disruption is less likely. We are distracted people. Trying to have an intimate prayer time with your Lord while the realities of life you can do little about are taking place loudly all around you is a practice in futility. Every mother in this room understands this. Look, I really don't know what the right time is for you to apply this or what how to apply this in your life specifically in your specific situation but if prayer if you've decided by God's grace power of the spirit you believe that prayer is unquestionably necessary then the question remains when might you have time to pray with limited to no distraction do you have a time that you are working towards and when is that I know as much as anyone, if we don't have a plan for it, there's just a small chance that's actually going to happen. Might you be willing to fight the fight by putting your phone on airplane mode for a time? Might you be able to take those moments before bed when you're so tired to just simply stop, thank God for the day, to intercede for a few people that he brings to your mind? It doesn't have to be a half-hour prayer session. Just moments of Prayer. Maybe it's getting up early for you before others and your family are up. Maybe for some of you very busy moms, it's taking advantage of the few moments of quiet that seem so hard to come by in your day. And when you don't have any time, you just really, really just don't have any time, well, perhaps it's moms and dads spotting one another in responsibilities that you have that each of you might be able to enter a time of prayer for a bit. Singles, empty nesters, widow, widowers, others who don't have the same ongoing familial responsibilities. When is it going to be for you? We, we don't have near the amount of excuse as a mom does. We need to set boundaries in our lives. And that means you need to decide that there can be nothing else more important in your day than meeting with God, reading a Bible, praying to him, having communion with him. And, the, and, and it's gotta, it, 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 you've got to make a decision when's it going to happen. When is it going to be? Where is it going to happen? And when you have that when you, make that, when you make that decision, tell your spouse, tell your kids, let them know, tell a friend, have them pray for you to follow through on this and help you grow in this area. One more area, one more thing. Uh, four, we must decide to not be controlled by external circumstances. This kind of goes along with the previous one. How many of us who say we don't have time for things are controlled by the pull of social media or the most recent news bulletin. That your curiosity gets the best of you, and the next thing you know, you spend thirty minutes scrolling through Instagram reels, laughing at dogs running around crazy or speaking or singing or something like that. And I'm speaking to myself here, what, what, am, I, what am I doing? Perhaps you're reading the comment section of the most recent social media provocation. Now perhaps this afternoon you go home, or if you haven't done it already, I just encourage you not to, to, to like look at the Ohio State, like the way people are speaking about, about whoever, and you start kind of getting all upset about it, and it's like 30 minutes worth of comment sections. Perhaps you've watched the same event played on TV 25 times in a row, the same commentary, being offered, or you spend all your time checking out Tic-Tac or TikTok or whatever. <laughs> Tic-Tac, yeah. Look, it's, not, it's not that those things are necessarily bad. Um, they're fun, cute, all that. But there are sometimes things that we allow to control us and to strip us of our time. We have fear of missing out. We, we want to know what's happening in someone's life what they're doing, what they're not doing. And if we give in to being controlled by these things, you can be assured that the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to keep more of the same coming. And even though he served and taught and ministered to people for hours upon hours so much that he was absolutely exhausted on many occasions, even sleeping during a rather enormous storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus never allowed anything to get in the way of his communion with prayer with his Father. May we follow his example there. Now let me close with one thought. Perhaps you've Decided that prayer is a key to your spiritual life, and you have no desire to disregard it. So you set a time, you take take all this application into place, you set a time, you take a place to pray when disruption is less likely, and and you prioritize in your schedule, choosing to not be controlled by any number of external circumstances, but then you get before the Lord and you don't know entirely what to say and you feel. You feel so very distracted. I mean, you pray well enough. You thank the Lord. You ask the Lord to you you intercede uh, before the Lord for others. But it all ends up kind of sounding the same, and you're kind of praying just for the same things, which is fine. But it's like it gets kind of boring. It gets a little boring and dull and drudgery, rather than fresh and lively and invigorating. This is not a solution to that entirely, and it's not the same prayers over and over and over and over again should be drudgery. But a way to kind of perhaps tackle that a little bit is by picking up this free book in the back and just taking time to read it this year. So every, everybody gets a, I mean, as long as they last, should, should take one of these home. Um, I found this very helpful. Uh, I know a couple of others of you as well, but Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. Um, here's how the book's described in the back. It says, when you pray, does it ever feel like you're just saying the same old things about the same old things? Mm-hmm. Um, offering us the encouragement and practical advice we're all looking for, this author uh, outlines an easy-to-grasp method that he has the power that has the power to transform our prayer life. Praying the words of Scripture, simple yet profound. Praying the Bible will prove invaluable as you seek to commune with your heavenly Father in prayer each and every day. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes we we're not so. We, it just doesn't last that long, or or we just say it and it's like mm, nah. he tells you, pick up for instance, a psalm. Today, for instance, he would say, pick up Psalm 1. It's the first of the month. So pick up Psalm 1 and begin to pray through Psalm 1 and intercede for people along the way. If Psalm 1 is not doing you anything, then jump 10 psalms and try Psalm 11. Psalm 11, you look at it and you're just like, mm. go to Psalm 21. Somewhere along the line, you got like in Psalms, you got you got quite a quite a way to go, right? So just there's something to pray for through that. You don't know what to pray, take this book, learn, grow, let that be a way that you can uh, grow this year. As we gather, we pray together. We pray for one another. So take the opportunity to do so as we gather together as well. And may we in 2023 grow to connect that which we believe with our lives of prayer. May we fight the good fight against the enemies of our faith by trusting in and believing God and his word and deciding by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to kick the devil in the teeth. And as we pray, and as we pray, and as we pray, we don't lose heart and we help one another until the day that we see Jesus face to face, continue to pray and fight the fight. What a privilege and joy we've been given to be able to talk to our sweet king who calls us to himself freely with confident access to seek his face and to ask him for anything we would desire. Trusting in him to give us exactly what we need in due season. And in the end, answering us speedily.